Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. For all our focus on Wales, sometimes it's worth looking further afield. So today we head north to look at Scotland, the Constitution, and particularly the Scottish Labour Party. So joining us today is Kieran O'Neill, former Scottish parliamentary candidate for Scottish Labour. Hey, Kieran. Hi, Mark. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, so how would you describe the state of Scottish politics at the moment? Uh, Scottish politics is in a rut. Um, I think it has been um, for the last number of years. We're at a sort of gridlock. I wouldn't quite call it an impasse yet, but we're at a gridlock where everything is so binary and so polarised on one issue, that being Scotland's uh, constitutional future, whether inside or outside of the UK. It, you know, I think I think that's problematic. You'll not be surprised to hear that come at that from a democratic socialist point of view um, in terms of trying to advance, you know, progressive causes. It's, it, it, it's difficult. Obviously, in this, but it's hard to talk about any of that without talking about the pandemic. You know, there has just been a Scottish parliamentary election where I was honoured to be the candidate for Mary Helen Springburn. Uh, obviously, wasn't successful, but I think we have to look at that election through the prism of a, a place where, you know, in every part of the UK, those that were in charge of handling of the pandemic were rewarded at the ballot box. And I'm very glad that worked out in Wales for Mark Drakeford and Welsh Labour, but obviously in Scotland, it, it led to a, another disappointing night for the Labour Party. It, it could have been much worse. Um, I think Anas, as a leader, came in and, you know, did quite a lot to arrest the decline in the short period of time he had. But I think in terms of like, the state of politics in Scotland, it, it's it's quite a depressing tone. You know, it does kind of feel like we're doing nothing. You know, it was, it was um, the parliament was obviously established after decades of fighting and you know you speak to people that, that fought so hard to deliver a Scottish Parliament and they just kind of look at it now and it's a disappointment you know it's not it's not filling up to its ambitions it's not filling up to its promise to change lives which I, I just find incredibly sad but it also presents a huge challenge and huge motivation to go out there and try and make a difference and turn that around because I do think it can be turned around um yeah so that that would be what I'd say to be honest. Kieran, I think you focus there on the, the national side of it. And I think that's what the rest of us in the, across the UK get is the Hollywood side of things and the SNP, I think it's fair to say, quite dominant. But can you just touch on what the wider Scottish politics is like? You know, local authority elections in Wales next year. I'm not sure about Scotland, but are the SNP as dominant at a local level in Scotland or is it still... a bit of a, a Labour kind of traditional stronghold. Very topical, Kerry. I mean, yesterday I was selected as a local Labour candidate for uh, Mary Hill Ward in the north of Glasgow. And yeah, we, we have local elections next year. Now, the thing that's different is we use a single transferable vote. So you don't get the same sort of inconsistencies you would get in terms of democratic outcomes as you do with first past the post. But yeah, there is, there is a big world outside of Holyrood, and I think it's important to remember that. But in terms of like the state of local government in Scotland, it's actually quite disappointing because it kind of doesn't really exist. You know, so much has been centralised and, you know, powers that were, you know, before devolution, the scheme of local government in Scotland was devised by Ian Lang, who was a Tory Secretary of State for Scotland. And that's still the case. The boundaries, the way it's structured, the powers it has um, is inadequate. And I think that's one of the one of the mistakes of devolution, that it's it's, it's not empowered communities. It's actually centralised power in Edinburgh. It's not even gave power to the parliament. It's been hoarded by the executive. Um, but, I mean, if you look at, you know, I can only talk about one experience in Glasgow. You know, the city's budget has been decimated. I don't use that term lightly. Has quite literally, you know, the cuts to Glasgow have been so disproportionate and, you know, frankly, cruel. And as a result of that, you see the situation like, 
like where in parts of Glasgow during the pandemic, people were told the libraries were shut. And I think as the leader of the SNP council said, they're not shut, they're just not opening again, which is just absolutely farcical. So I think the local government elections are really, really important. And it's about saying that local government matters, you know, local decision-making matters, empowering communities matters. And this process of austerity, of, you know, copying the Tory rulebook, of cutting and cutting and cutting, has just done quite a lot of harm to communities and it can't go on. And I do think after the pandemic, that message will be received well too, but we just have to wait and see. And, you know, people that believe in the purpose of local government, of, of municipal socialism, as I'd call it, you know, you actually deliver and make a change, have to go and make that fight. But I, the honest answer is I don't know how that will go. So I don't think I realised that local government in Scotland was STV. Is that a long-term thing? How, how has that gone down? Is that now generally seen as a standard part of Scottish politics and a... And a progressive way of electing people? I think I'm in a minority when I think STV is, is the most effective voting system. You know, I think I would use it for all levels of representation. So it was brought in in 2007. Scottish Labour did have favour policy in favour of proportional representation. Scottish Labour voted to make the Parliament PR and then when we were in government with the Liberals, I think it was one of their conditions that we'd have to bring in a, a form of proportional representation. So there, there's no denying that was not politically advantageous for the Labour Party. We lost, we lost seats drastically. As a result, but what it has ensured now, uh, you know, when you you know, it feels like the SNP are so hegemonic that Labour voters can have Labour representation. So in Scotland, the way it works is they've recently changed it, so it could be anything from two to a five-member ward, but two and five-member wards only tend to be in very very rural. So in Glasgow, it's all three and four member, and it's it's uh, it's fascinating. There is still a lot of issues around. It. This is the problem every time voters in Scotland go to the polls, they have a different voting system. They have AMS, they have First Past the Post, they have STV, and that 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 presents a challenge to political parties and, to be honest, I think, you know, civic society in terms of how, how do we manage that? Because unfortunately, one of the consequences is people get confused and they will put an X where they should put a one, or you know, they'll put a one where they should put an X. But I, that's that. But I, I think it's the right thing to do, and you know, I'm a I'm a huge advocate for proportional representation. I actually think PR at a UK level is is fundamentally crucial to the survival survival right word to the UK working you know survival yeah let's go with survival PR is absolutely fundamental to that um, and then obviously you know taking that forward so yeah it's the right thing to do and you know we use that system as the one in place and the one we have to respond to. Let's go back a little bit to local government Kieran I mean there's often a claim in Wales that people in the north of Wales feel as distant and remote to Cardiff as they do to Westminster, because there is a perhaps an over-centralisation of powers within the Welsh Government, the Executive of Wales. You mentioned that in your answer. Do people in Scotland sometimes feel as remote as they do from Holyrood, as, even if they are only just down the central belt in Glasgow, as they would do yeah, from Westminster? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm less than 50 minutes on a train to Edinburgh. Um, and if you speak to people, you know, where I live in Postal Park, Holyrood feels just as far away as Westminster. And that, that's an issue. And, that, you know, that's that's before you even take in the geographic thing. You know, if you think about somewhere like Shetland, which is the most northerly part of, the, of these islands, um, I think they're pursuing some sort of thing of more autonomy because they don't feel like Holyrood works for them. And I think I think that's a big problem. You know, I, I want the Scottish Parliament to be a success. I want devolution to be a success. But the project is stalling and it's failing and it's leading to this sentiment where was the old way better than before and I, I don't think it was I think fundamentally devolutions you know I think Mark Draper said it's the UK's greatest strength I agree with him but yeah that there is a real there is a real disconnect and the problem you'll have is you know the government will look through the constitutional prism and go that's a huge success but there is there is a real sort of sense of this isn't working it's not 
it's not connecting, and that's a political problem. Um, and I think it's one for all parties, but ultimately lies with the government, which centralises with one hand and cuts with another. It's just a terrible way of doing business, in my view. So in your home city of Glasgow... Greatest city uh, in the world. <laughs> well, you've just had one of the biggest conferences in the world in Glasgow. How was that to live through? I mean, I didn't quite realise it was such a big deal until I was walking to the train station. I saw um, the leader of the, the Canadian NDP, Jag Jagmeet Singh, and I'm about, all oh, right, this is actually a thing. You know, that's somebody I, I know from Twitter or Facebook. Well, COP, well, there was a number of things about COP that were that were frustrating from a Glaswegian point of view. There was obviously the disruption. It was the biggest conference the UK has ever held. For one thing that particularly hurt me is that delegates and press got a card they could use in all forms of public transport and that isn't something that ordinary punters in Glasgow can have and the response was oh well you know it's caught I'm like well if you can treat the leaders of the free world like you can treat ordinary Glaswegians like it so we'll see what happens there I also you know I think it was always going to be hard for COP to work but I am I, I'm, I am quite disappointed that you know Glasgow which is a, a remarkable city is now going to sort of forever have its name associated with this this pact which may or may not you know, work and may have such severe consequences in all our lives. So that 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 is quite disheartening. But there was there was a lot there was a lot going on. You know, I, I, the marches were were absolutely phenomenal. You know, I think if that spirit could have got into the 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 conference, that that would have changed things. But it, it just didn't. And I think that's just because you know the the scale of it. You know, it was just so huge. But yeah, it was it was it was quite an interesting time in Glasgow. I have to say, it was um it was <laughs> it was frustrating at times, but also it's just wonderful. You know, welcome the world to Glasgow. So going back a little bit to this sort of constitutional narrative, but all we hear in Wales is that the debate is always about the constitution in Scotland. But obviously, with this such a powerful parliament that like you do have in Holyrood, that can't be every single conversation. But to what extent does it feel like that? No, I think I think it is, and it's really sad. You know, I, I'll I'll go to a Labour Party meeting in another part of the UK. People hear my accent and ask me what I think about independence, and I'm like, uh, and I have a you know. There's no denying I, I've been on a journey in this. You know, I've I voted yes in 2014, but my my whole thing for no longer supporting that is I just I just can't tell people that they have to wait for things to get better. You know, we have to wait for independence to address child poverty. We have to wait for independence to use the powers of our parliament, which is the most powerful devolved parliament in the world. You know, I think if Mark Drakeford could have the system that we have in Scotland, I think he'd probably bite your hand off for it. I know there's I know there's greater devolution in Wales, but it's it's just not good enough. And the attitude of the government, um, the Scottish government so often, the SNP is, we aren't here to mitigate the worst excesses of Tory estate. It's a perfect example, as you know, the repugnant rape clause and two-child cap. Um, they could offset it and they say well we shouldn't have to do that and you know they need a history lesson because the Scottish Parliament was forged in adverse and you know opposition to you know, the likes of Margaret Thatcher it is exactly there to be a bulwark against that sort of right-wing ideology and um, the fact that we have a government we have people in our Parliament that aren't willing to throw everything they've got at tackling the challenges we have right now and um, you know if they were I think if they were genuine if they thought this whole new state thing was a viable option they would be doing everything they can to show they you know they'll rest night and day and look how much more we could do with more but it, it's this sort of almost managerial style of doing politics you know we'll just we'll just not we'll not alert anyone too much and then you know if we keep biding our time eventually enough people you know sign up to you know i mean the, the program is is the growth commission which is black and white 30 years of austerity you know people that are already hard done by will be harder done by and you know like it or lump it and i just think that's acceptable i think there's something particularly cruel about it but that that's where we're at so politics i mean scotland has is a great country glasgow's a great city but it has so many challenges you know, you just have to look at things like our drug deaths. You know, Scotland has the same drug laws as every other part of the UK, but why are our drug deaths so much higher? 
and you know there's so many other things that that, that need de dealt with and it just feels like the government aren't focused on that you know child poverty where i live in maryhill and springburn is you know a, a third of kids are growing up in poverty when you go to to the south side where nicola sturgeon represents it's nearly half in fact it's more than half sometimes depending on what measurement you use and you know this is one of the richest countries in the world there's absolutely no excuse for people to be living in that we have to use every lever of the state we have to try and address that. And I, I, I'm sorry, it's just not being done. And I can't forgive that. It, it's very, very pertinent you mentioned that, Kieran, because that's been in the, in the news in Wales a lot of late about uh, child poverty. And of course, it's a Labour administration here. And these things are difficult. But, you know, in Scotland, obviously, Labour aren't the power in, uh, in government. So when we're looking outside the kind of key constitutional uh, arguments about independence, how, how difficult it is for the other parties that aren't in government to, you know, focus the narrative on something which is away from that independence debate. I mean, at the most recent election, you know, um, Anas stood in a very clear platform around our national recovery plan, which, you know, these are the these are the five things we have to do, the five different types of recovery we need to have as we come out of COVID. It was, you know, it was a great, great manifesto, so many good things in it, um, but that was combined with, Nicola Sturgeon, who was, you know, OSMP will have an independence referendum as soon as possible, and vote Douglas Ross and the Scottish Scottish Tories, who are an absolute binfire. Um, we'll do everything we can to stop an independence referendum. And basically what happened was it was more or less the same result as it was five years ago. Um, there was some slight... Labour, Labour lost lost two members, um, and, you know, I think the SNP gained two, and the Tories stayed roughly the same. Um, I think the Greens did slightly better as well. But like I said earlier, you know, politics isn't a rut. But, you know, every single minute we spend talking about, you know, the constitutional issue, um, we spend talking about, you know, is there going to be another referendum? When should there be another referendum? You know, it, it's time we're not focusing on, you know, the issues I spoke about, like child poverty, you know, like the drug death scandal, you know, like the situation we're seeing um, in Glasgow with our largest hospital and, you know, people dying from infections and what seems to feel be like a cover-up going on, uh, which isn't acceptable. And that's all in the midst of a global pandemic. So... You know, you do you do feel it like hitting your head off a wall and screaming sometimes. You go, and how can you be so obsessed with this? But I suppose that's politics. But I think there are people out there who are totally... And one of the things that really struck me during the Scottish election, you know, the constituency where I stood voted yes by the largest majority of any constituency in Glasgow. I think it was nearly 60%. But lifelong SNP voters, people that support independence, going, I want independence, but no like this, not right now. Um, now's not the time. There was also people that wanted it right now. So the fact is, everything's in flux. And anyone that tells you, you know, or oh, Scotland wants independence or is lying. I think the last couple of polls have showed a consistent trend in the opposite direction in terms of remaining part of the UK. But it is, everything is such, such in flux, but it is still in that rut where, you know, we see things through this one prism. And, you know, it's, it's just it's holding the country back. It, it absolutely is. To what extent do you think that's as a consequence of the political benefit of unionism to conservatism and to cons the Conservative Party. Do you think that they're, for all their shouting that now is not the time and now is not the time for independence or a referendum, that because there's so much political benefit for the Conservatives in being like a hard unionist, muscular unionist line, that they almost perpetuate the narrative that all we're talking about is independence because they're fighting against it? Yeah, no, I mean it's it's a it's a self it's a self fulfilling fallacy, I suppose, because you know the Scottish Tories have one policy, no NDF two, you know this sort of tub thumping, you know hardline unionism, 
I, I mean, hardline British nationalism at times as well. You know, it, it, it's it's literally a it, it's a self perpetuating psychodrama. Um, this issue, and that's as far as the Scottish Tories go. It's that one issue, nothing else. And you know, I think it's so bad for our politics because there is there is nothing else going on there. You know, we said at the election, Scotland needs a better government, also needs a better opposition, and you know, we still need both. But yeah, they're not. They'll never not talk about anything else because you know that that that's their, that's all they've got for as long as this issue remains. You know, the, the, the it's not going to. I don't think it will change because you know that that's all they want to talk about because they have, they have nothing else to offer. They're hardly going to go talk about advocating all the good things that Boris Johnson's government's doing, are they? I'm very interested in in the, the, the Scottish Conservatives. Obviously, their leader, Douglas Ross, is both an MSP and an MP. And a referee. How does he, uh, how does he manage those commitments? And does he ever end up taking contrasting opinions in Westminster than he does in Holyrood? I mean, I, I don't know what's inside Douglas's mind, frankly. It would terrify me if I was in there. But I think the fact that he continues to have a dual mandate, especially at a time we're talking about politicians have certain jobs, is, is very strange. But, I mean, the, the guy has been in every party under the sun. He was in the Liberals for a while, and then he joined the Tories. And I think, you know, he said, if he became Prime Minister, the one thing he'd want to do in day one is take tougher actions against Gypsy and Roma Traveller people. I mean, you've really got to wonder why the Tories looked at this guy and went, he'll do, you know, once their, uh, their, their Ruth Davidson toddled off to the House of Lords. Yeah, so that's that's quite. I mean, do I think he has a plan for Scotland? Do I think he has a plan to you know improve the lives of young people uh, all over the country, tackle child poverty? No. Do I, do I think he hates the SNP, hates the idea of Scottish independence, and will do everything he can to stop them? Yeah, but you know, what's that going to do to make people's lives any better? Very interesting as well with regards to the sort of Scottish Labour approach to tackling this prism through which all Scottish politics, at least from our perspective, seems to be framed. Because the argument for at least, a, at least the last couple of leaders has been, we can't talk about independence in the same way as the Tories or the SNP do. We've got to try and talk about the real issues and the things that matter to people. But do you still think that Labour needs a really strong line on that question per se? I think it's hard, you know, I think it's really hard for a party, you know, on the left that's progressive, you know, that is internationalist, you know, there's no, the, the fact is the issue of independence cuts right through Labour's traditional voter coalition in Scotland, you know, it's done that, it's, it, so it's trying to manage the recovery of that, which, which is difficult and I don't I don't envy um, our, our leadership and try to do that, you do have to be very clear, Scottish Labour is against um, Scotland leaving the UK, not for reasons of dry dogma, not for, you know, the sake of, you know, a form of, you know, pay glove of, you know, a British flag or anything, because um, people in Scotland benefit from working with other parts of this, these islands. You know, the fact is the challenges facing someday in Cardiff and Glasgow and Edinburgh and, you know, Manchester are all very similar. And, you know, it's always very easy as a Labour Party member. You just go clause four by the strength for common endeavour. We achieve more together than we achieve alone. Um, I think that sums it up very, very well. I don't think that's why the motivation behind Tony Blair changing it, but it's a rather welcome byproduct for that. So it's hard for Scottish Labour, but I do think we have to be honest. You know, I'm always. I'm, but one of the things we do say is, listen, we don't care if you voted yes or you voted no. If you voted leave or remain, do you want a fairer, better, more equal country? Then Labour's Labour's 
you know, the only team in the pitch that are advocating that. And it is about, you know, saying this psychodrama that's sort of infected our politics for the last many years can't go on because it's just, it's an absolute standstill. It's a very difficult issue to navigate, but I've seen it done and I know it can be done. But, you know, the fact is as well, you know, there are just some people that won't budge on it. The, the issue of the Constitution is their one absolute dying principle. You know, there's people who I really like and respect that have been involved in with loads of campaigns. For example, the SNP shutting all these libraries and all that. You know, that's terrible. I'm never, I, I would, I, I'd, I'd love to vote Labour, but you still believe in independence. I'm like, they're shutting your bloody library. Um, you know, the Constitution is they've got to keep the books, but, books going, but that that's sort of how, how ingrained it is. And, you know, I think... It's a bit, it's a bit like the Brexit issue. You know, it was independence came along at a time under a under the referendum came under a time of a sort of unloved, hated, you know, Tory Liberal government, and you know the the independence issue was an you know fu to the establishment. You know, it's all it's all very well and good. You know, it even tugs at my heartstrings. You know, work as if you live in the early days of a better nation. That that's the challenge. So it, it, there's a question of head and heart and how do you navigate that. But I think the, the fundamental thing is you can't. Can I treat people fools? You do need to be honest. We're against this SNP project, you know, this what is effectively, you know, Thatcherite like policy of the Growth Commission, because um, it will do nothing to, it will just hammer people that have already been so badly damaged as a result of the last 10 years and in some cases 14 years of SNP and Tory rule. Do you think that this question becomes much, much easier if it looks like Labour are going to win in Westminster? and? The major reason that so many people still vote SNP is because it looks unrealistic for Labour to form a government at a Westminster level. Yeah, I think I think a UK Labour government totally totally changes the game because the fact is Boris Johnson is the biggest cheerleader for the dissolution of the United Kingdom that you could ever get. You know, the man is an absolute buffoon, a charlatan. I'm trying to think of a good Scottish word that I couldn't say it without swearing. I don't want to bleep. So there's that, but yeah, I think well, do, do do it, Kieran. We don't get many bleeps. Go on, we'll, we'll test Rich. Go on, do it. I, I better know. I better know as much of it, but um, you know, the, the man's just absolutely. Oh, I, I don't even want to go there. Actually, no, I'm not. I'm going to resist. I'm going to resist. But um, you know, the fact is, um, and that's why it's so so important that because the fact is, if there is a Labour government, if people can believe that there is an alternative to the Tories, they'll vote for it. Um, and the problem we've had in Scotland, particularly the last general election, you know, in 2017 and in 2019, there was a real, there was a, the, probably the most progressive offer there's been in several decades from the, the party to the public. Um, and it didn't work. And it didn't work because, you know, in Scotland, you had people, I had people really, I had family members that are, you know, teachers, really, really educated for contact and they're going, I really, really want to vote Labour, but I know the only way to stop the the Tories is to vote SNP. And I'm like, you live in Motherwell. The, Tory, the Tories are not going to win. You know, you need to vote, you need to vote Labour to elect the Labour MP as part of the Labour government. And it's this sort of presidential style of politics that I suppose has creeped in. Uh, but fundamentally, the, the Labour Party needs to win the next election at a UK level. Um, or the UK is really, really in a sugly peg because the fact is, I can't keep going to people in, when I campaign in Glasgow and say, you just need to give us your vote again this time. I promise we'll get Labour in, you know, there's only so many more times we can do that. Um, it's a real, real challenge. And I, I, I'd i like to think the people that are in charge of making these are aware of how delicate and how crucial the stage we're at is in. You know, we really need to pull this. If we don't win the next election, we're in big trouble. This is always something that people talk about in Wales, because I don't know to what extent you've seen the polling on it, but they say that over half of Labour voters in Wales support Welsh independence. But it's levelled often at these people that really what they want is socialism. Mm -hmm. 
So give us a viable alternative in Westminster that can deliver a Labour government that is a socialist Labour government, and that independence problem goes away. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I, I think I think a big. I, I think we view this through the reality, which is polling and you know the composition of the House of Commons, and I think we have to really, really remember that the House of Commons is is not representative of any. You know, the problem is first past the post. You know, has literally kept the Tories in power when they should have lost. I don't know how many elections. So as well as you know sorting out our our um, our shit on on the UK and on Scotland, we really need to get a finger out on on proportional representation because we can't keep having this situation where the vast majority of the country, you know, people all over um, the UK vote Labour and then get landed with a party they don't vote for, and you know, people have never voted Tory in their life and have a Tory government. You know, I mean, I've never voted SNP in my life and have an SNP government. I suppose there's there's a there's a level of there's a scale to it. I suppose, um, but that that that's such a major issue. You know, I think I think the Wales the Wales question Wales is just such a fascinating case study because you know I think when you speak to people in in Scotland, they look at Wales and go, God, they're they're brilliant. You know, why why can't we be like that? And it's a it, it's there is a sort of you know we're very jealous of you. It's just about having the political will to to do things, and and far too often in Scotland it feels like that just isn't there. I think I think this pod is going to be met with some interesting raised eyebrows by various part, uh, quarters in uh, Wales, Kieran, with some of that. The dynamic between the two countries, you know, the Celtic cousin side of it, is always going to be interesting and make comparisons. You know, where the, there's a real, there is that real contrast and fortune in between the two governments with uh, Welsh Labour and in Scotland the SNP. What? How do you think? You know, what, what do you think has created those contrasting fortunes between the two nations? Like what I'd love to go into the history and everything, the difference between the nations, but is this something fundamental which we should know about or be aware of that has caused the changes in Scotland that hasn't happened in Wales or vice versa? I mean, I can't I can't talk about Wales. I'm not I'm not Welsh. I don't I haven't I've never lived there. Um as much as sometimes I'd like to, um, but in Scotland, I mean, I, I think what happened in in Scotland was there was basically in the two thousand. I mean, it's interesting because it's like you, you look at actually what happened in two thousand and seven. The SNP became the largest party for the first time ever by by one seat, and then that's actually the majority. You know, is there there. And, you know, it's quite funny because in 2007-2011, obviously there's an arrangement with the Greens now, but they were basically an arrangement with the Tories between them to get their their budgets passed, um, something they don't like to talk about. But I think in terms of, like, the political shift, I do think, particularly the the outcome of the UK 2010 general election, you know, there was not a single seat that changed hands in 2010. The country returned 41 Labour MPs, but got a Tory Lib Dem government that, not really anyone voted for outside of Dumfries. So I think, again, the broken sort of systems of the UK are, you know, really, really unwinding, particularly in this decade. And, you know, I've said this several times, you know, the fact is um, the British state, from a political sense, is absolutely rotten and broken. And if it isn't smashed from the centre, obviously voluntarily by hopefully a progressive Labour government, you know, it ain't going to exist anymore. It's it's fundamentally that clear, you know, and Open Labour, the organisation I'm just stepping down as, as the chair of, you know, they uh, produced a really interesting book with ERS and politics for the many new foundations and um, there's, there's some really, really exciting ideas in that. I wish that the leadership of the party would find it more exciting, but hopefully one day they will. Uh, basically, I don't have any answers to why Wales and Scotland... I don't think they're on divergent paths. Um, I don't think there's a big difference. 
I think I think there is just you know a slight difference that in Scotland the Labour Party was was displaced as the party of government and has, has struggled with that. Not to be unkind to any comrades that were in the parliament at that point, but I do think there was an issue after the 2011 election where we almost blamed the voters for voting us out. Like, how, how could they do this? And, you know, you just have to look at what happened after that. That sort of, you know, I'm always very, very clear about this. The Scottish Labour Party is not entitled to exist. It is not entitled to have representation in parliament. It's not entitled to be a viable political party. It has to get out there and make a message that works, that connects with communities. Um, and I think we're on that journey. Um, you know, we're, we're, talk, we're trying to build an alternative to these sort of just insular twin nationalisms of the Tories and the SNP. And that isn't easy when your political debate is so focused on one issue, but it's the right thing to do. I wouldn't have it any other way. But it is about recognising, you know, a lot of people are unhappy with the, the way in which power in the country is held, governed and wielded. And we need to actually come up with a, a serious plan about how to fix that. Um, and I, I, I don't, at a UK level, I don't think we are where we need to be yet in terms of that, the ambition for the sort of change that, you know, a new Labour government, next Labour government, I hope, um, will, will bring about. Like you said, you know, you, you, you've not got maybe the depth of knowledge in, in Wales, but we've talked a lot in the past, Kieran, about how Labour in Scotland and Labour in Wales seem to deal very differently with nationalism and, and national parties. From, from your sort of outsider's perspective, how do you compare and contrast the sort of the attitude towards nationalist parties in, in Wales and Scotland? I, I mean, I, I come at this from obviously um, a slightly different point of view to other comrades, but, you know, I'm, I'm, you know I think Welsh Labour has succeeded by, you know, being the party of Wales. You know, and I think I think that's absolutely Scottish Labour should it's the party of Scotland, but we maybe don't feel like uh, we're sometimes a bit afraid to, to assert that sense of you know people like Donald Dewar, Robin Cook, John Smith, they were very proud and assertive of you know what Scotland was, what Scotland is, what Scotland should be, and I think when we established the Parliament, we were maybe a bit reluctant to do that. I, I don't know why. Um, but you know, I think that 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 definitely is something. But you know, you look at you know, like Roger Morgan and the sort of clear red water between Cardiff Bay and Westminster. I think I think that it, well, I mean, the Scottish Labour government did do that. You know, about abolition of student tuition fees. You know, free personal care. You know, there was that. But I mean, fundamentally, I think nationalism is is a is a bad political ideology. It's it's not good. You know, I can't I can't think of an example that springs to mind where it's been a positive force for change. But you know, a sort of progressive, internationalist, patriotic, if you want to call it that, democratic socialist route to it is, I think, the right way forward. Um, and I think that is what Welsh Labour espouses as well, as you know, very proudly rooted in those Welsh traditions, whether it's, you know, the language or the culture. And, you know, Scotland has all that as well, but it doesn't feel like we talk about that as much. And to be fair, I don't feel like the SNP do either. You know, they, it, it, it's slightly different, but I do think it is just about, you know, Scottish Labour's the party of Scotland. Um, it's not the nationalists and it's not the unionists, you know, it's the, it's the socialists. So one of the things um, I can take from those last couple of questions, Kieran, is is another area of divergence between Scotland and, to, to be fair, Wales and England, uh, is the Brexit vote. You know, what what was... If you could, can you give us a quick take on that from north of the border? Because I think that is something which unified the political parties in Scotland, which... It, you know, you have taken a very different course to south of the border. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I mean, God, I think about the EU referendum, I, I just get, I just get really depressed and sad. You know, I, I worked on that campaign in Glasgow, and you know, um, turnout was, was so dismally low um, because we, we just thought it was in the bag. I, I'm assuming that was the case in other parts of the UK. It, it, it did Brexit. Brexit basically took how devolution works, and you know. 
put it in a shredder. It sort of shook the foundations of, of how, you know, politics and government in these islands work. Because there, there is an issue when, you know, Scotland as a nation votes to remain and that 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 doesn't happen. I mean, I think we also, there are other issues as well. You know, I can, you know, this idea that the, the SNP were the champions of Europe, you know, they spent more money in a bloody by-election in Glenrothes than they did in the European election campaign. And I, I can only speak from my experience, but I didn't, I didn't see a single... SNP activists, but after it was all, you know, we'd been robbed. You know, I, I was born in the, I was born as, you know, a citizen of the European Union, and that that was taken off me, and I'm, I, I still really, really regret that. I hope one day that will be addressed. That's not saying the EU is perfect. I could go on all day moan about all the things that are wrong with the EU, just like I go on all day moan about all the things that are wrong with the UK. But remain in reform. It's that simple. And you know, I certainly advocate for that after the referendum. We didn't, we didn't win that argument. You know, that that's that democracy. That's politics. But this, I, the, the, the SNP sort of tried to weaponise it and it, it failed in 2017. You know, they were, uh, it, you know, people that had voted Remain didn't do that in the condition that the Nicola Sturgeon could demand a second referendum. They did it because they wanted to remain in the European Union. Um, there is then no denying as the issue went on, you know, the strength of feeling on it got stronger. But the fact is, Brexit's happened now. We can't, we can't be stuck in the arguments to the past. We've left the European Union. As much as I regret that, as much as I think it's the wrong decision, that's the political reality. What we need to do is build a better way of dealing with those issues. You know, I think the, the way that sort of intergovernmental relations in the UK work is dysfunctional to the point of madness. The sort of sometimes contempt that's shown towards, you know, the Parliament and Cardiff and Holyrood um, is unacceptable. And of course, there's the, the, uh, the other thing about Europe as well, and this is the thing that the European, sorry, just to come in on that, um, it's just the absolute, you know, disdain for the political situation in Ireland and in Northern Ireland. Um, and, you know, you hear Tory MPs for, you know, home county constituents, you know, we're not going to let the EU lecture to us and, you know, the Good Friday is trashed. And they seem to have absolutely no understanding that the Good Friday Agreement is a peace treaty. And it's the one thing that stops death and violence and destruction and misery um, that, you know, spread all over these islands for however many years. Um, and just the absolute contempt for that, you know, the, the Conservative and Unionist Party, I think it was John Smith that said that there's two legs sawn away. That, you know, the Nationalists do an OK job, but the, better, the bigger and better ones are the Tories. Uh, it's just absolutely disgusting. They're content for that precious, precious piece in Ireland is... is I, I cannot I cannot forgive nor understand it. Let's say Europe is, is an issue close to my heart. I regret what's happened, but that's politics. And I hope one day that will be addressed, but we're not anywhere near that point yet. Um, and the one, I'll just, the last thing I'll say on it, Kerry, is um, it really, really annoys me because the SNP, you know, independent Scotland be a member of the European Union. It won't, like that, that's just a fact. That, that the, the European Commission have said that. I mean, there, there is a route. There is a route to an independent Scotland joining the European Union. Uh, but the terms and conditions of that membership would be nothing compared to what it was before. The economic test that would have to be met would mean more austerity, more pain, more misery. And, you know, so that's always the question. You know, I, I think a lot of people are a bit like, you know, independence or a member of the EU. It's not, it's not a yes or no, it's, it's what cost and how long. You know, who, who's paying the price for this? Because by and large, it's not the people that should be. It's ordinary people in communities that have already felt the brunt of austerity. You know, their lives won't change. This whole idea, this sort of thing, we can sell a cheap trick that, you know, all things will be great. It's just absolutely contemptible. No, I, th I think you know, uh, a lot of people on the pod agreeing with you uh, when this goes out. But if I could just draw you back into 
current position, particularly in Wales, have you made any assessment of Welsh Labour entering into a cooperation agreement applied? Because a lot of what you've talked about tonight, this cooperation agreement is bringing some of those radical policies to address some of those kind of issues you've talked about. Yeah, well, I think, you you know, as far as, I mean, you guys can correct me, but in the Senate elections, you know, Welsh Labour were the largest party, but don't have a majority. Um, and if you don't have a majority, you can't get things done. So, you know, I understand that, you know, the Welsh executive and, you know, it's been democratically approved by members uh, of both parties, and that's fine. I'm not I'm not fully aware of the rest of the details of the cooperation agreement. I'm sure that it's, I, I don't know enough about it, but, you know, I suppose the fact is, you know, you need the numbers. So that, that'll be what it is. So, but I mean, you know, Scotland, obviously, the SNP and the Greens have just, just a, a similar arrangement. And, you know, th- this isn't new. I mean, you know, you guys were in, so I say you guys, Welsh Labour were in, were in coalition with Plaid before, as I'm sure, you know, Labour was in coalition with the Liberals. When you have a proportional voting system, you need to, you know, that that's just a fact of life, you know. In Scotland and STV, there's rainbow coalitions of all stripes. You know, that, that that's just the political reality of that system. And at the end of the day, if it meets the test of delivering radical progressive change, then who am I to turn my nose up to? The problem I'd come back to is in Scotland is that the 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 cooperation agreement between the Nationalists and the Greens is just, I mean, it's certainly better than the SNP doing government alone because their natural instinct is to do absolutely little. But it's all sort of it's sort of signalling, and you know, you know, so much more could be done. And, you know, I mean, you just have to look at the, the gymnastics that's been going on around Campbell or other things. All is not well, but we'll, we'll wait and see. But I think in the ply, I, I don't know enough about the, the, the Labour ply deal in the Senate, um, but it seems, as far as I can tell, Welsh Labour have played a blinder as usual. I wasn't, I didn't mean to try and put you on the spot there, Kieran. It, you know, it, it's, it's little known about in Wales, to be fair, apart from a few geeky people who probably listen to what, the pod. What, what, uh, what, what's in it? You know, I know there's there's a bit about increasing the size, and I just know some of the politics, I know they're talking about increasing the size of the Senate, you know, maybe a new voting system, rent controls, you know, all, all that. Is that is there anything else that's sort of, is there anything that you don't like, you know? I'm, I'm... Uh, so what I did, the main headlines are free school meals for all primary school children, okay. uh, a national social care service, uh, reform to council tax, reform to the size and electoral method of the Senate, National Energy uh, Company, National, energy national company. Construction Company. There's a, there's a lot in there. I think there's about 50 policies. Oh, cool. Some are delivery, pretty, you know, quick wins, and a lot of them are go away and look at it. You know, I think our net zero target moves from 2050 to 2035. So, mm-hmm. sorry, Matt, I interrupted you there. No, that's exactly what I was going to say, Kerry, about the 2035 yeah. net zero target. I mean, one of the things it's really interesting is, is that in Wales, really... There's not a huge difference between Plaid Cymru and, and Labour, um, <laughs> apart from really the colour of the rosette. Uh, but, I mean, you'll have a lot of people who are members of both of those parties who violently disagree with that statement, yeah. but in reality... I can imagine, I can imagine. And yeah. that's going to go out as a clip as soon as we can do it. Matthew <laughs> Hester says there's no never ever going to be a Labour candidate anywhere after that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, 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 all that stuff, I mean, a lot of that stuff has already happened in Scotland or that, and ironically, some of the things that, like National Energy Company, that ain't happening anymore, even though everyone agrees with it, but it's sort of, you know, the Greens said, oh, why aren't, a couple of months ago said, why aren't they doing it now? The Green co-leader, who's one of the junior ministers, is like, oh, well, you know, we don't want, we don't need a National Energy Company. And it's just a bit like, oh, God, this is so painful to watch. Um, 
but yeah, it'll be. I, I'm I'm going to keep a, a closer eye on it because it is, it is really really fascinating. But I mean, it, it seems like the issues around that agreement are generally to get a progressive agenda over the line. And whereas in in Scotland, it's sort of we need to be able to say to the Tories, there's a majority government in the Parliament in favour of independence. Because that, that was the motivation behind it. You know, Nic- Nicola Sturgeon is not a cooperative politician. It's not in her nature. She's a very, very good politician, but she's not interested in coalition partners. Otherwise, she would have done it before. So it'll be interesting for that, basically. It. But there's other things, aspect, you know, there's things that, you know, there's rent controls in it, but it, we don't know when they're coming to come in, when they're going to come in. There's obviously, there was already, you know, after 10 years of Scottish Labour arguing for it, the government are going to bring forward the National Care Service, but basically at the minute, it's just centralising everything left, right and centre, and that's not what we want at a National Care Service. So there's always issues, but we'll, like I say, it's, we've got to look at them in the round, I suppose. So uh, Kerry is our resident green in this uh, in this podcast. So I used to be I, a green, so don't worry. <laughs> I was going to ask, how is, you've, you've alluded to it, but how is that relationship going between the SNP and the Greens in, in government? And how are the Greens, sorry, Kerry, I'm going to apologise in advance here. How are the Greens transitioning from being a sort of party of protest into a party of government? From what I can observe, and I, I do have friends and comrades in the Green Party, not any in Parliament, but, you know, I, I obviously have worked in the Parliament, so I've got a pretty bird's eye view of it. So I think the the sort of, you know, the, the MSP group, the now two government ministers, it's pretty easy. You know, it's it's, it's basically just that the uh, consolidation of an arrangement that's existed for the past five years, where particularly, you know, the SNP were a minority in the last Parliament. They weren't able to pass a budget without the support of another party. And it was always the Greens. So, you know, it was this annual ritual when the Finance Secretary, who was Kate Forbes, um, for the last part before that was Derek McKay, we don't speak about him anymore, stood up and said, you know, we'd no, I need to, you know, work with all parties across the chamber. And then five minutes later, you know, Patrick Harvey and the finance sector would walk out. We've agreed a deal and there'd be some things in it. Um, there wouldn't be a penny more for local government often, um, you know, and, you know, that, that, that sort of pantomime politics. So one of the good things out of this arrangement is we don't have to endure that spectacle anymore of the budget. So we can Thursday, uh, we'll wait and see what's in it. But I do think in terms of the actual uh, activists in the Scottish Green Party, because it's it's absolutely fascinating, you know, there's a lot of issues, you know, things like the National Energy Company, they're asking, why are we not pushing for this? And, you know, things around, uh, I think there, there's a real, there's going to be real agitation, it's going to be fascinating to watch, but I don't know is the honest answer, um, but I do think, I do think the parliamentary wing of the party is quite content, you know, it is basically a formalisation of arrangements existed for five years. And I do think it will become under particular pressure in the Parliament, particularly when the Parliament considers the Gender Recognition Act, the reform of that, um, because the the Greens are right on it. I'll say I'm quite happy to say the Greens are absolutely right on the issue. You know, I, I agree with their position on it. Um, Scottish Labour Party position is very similar. The SNP position is not, and the SNP backbenchers probably won't accept it. So that will be quite interesting. Will that arrangement last the whole Parliament? I don't know. There may be pressure from... The, the the grassroots of the Green Party, particularly around that issue, but there have been other issues. The vibe I get is that all's not well, but I'm not a member of the Green Party, so I don't know for sure. That could just be pure conjecture. But there is there is something it, it, it is fascinating to see because it is a party which has never held administration in Scotland. It's never there's never been Greens in, in power at even a local level under STV. But you know, I, I do think I, I think you know, I'm not saying this because I don't think the Greens are a serious party. I think they are. You know, I think the Labour Party in Scotland has recognised and does have to recognise it because, you know, 
particularly the last election, the Greens are like, oh, we're going to overtake Scottish Labour, and they didn't, and I hope they don't, because, you know, I, I, you know, I think Scottish Labour should be the prime progressive force in the country, um, but, you know, particularly with everything going on, you know, we're living in the climate crisis, there's no guarantee that people who are left-minded will, or progressive-minded will always vote Labour, so we have to go out there and make that fight, but yeah, let's say we'll wait and see what the outcome, I, I don't think five years of Green SNP government's going to do people in Scotland any, any great I don't think it will change much than what we were going to get under five years of the SNP. Um, it will just save us some of the theatrics. Kieran, thank you so much for coming on. I've got one last question for you. I mean, Scotland, to a lot of us, has appeared to be a country for the last seven or eight years that has been characterised by the division caused by referendums the 2014 independence referendum, the 2016 Brexit referendum, the looming contemplation of a second independence referendum. How does Scotland transition from being a country with very hard-line opinions and firmly set views on big constitutional topics such as Brexit or the the independence of, of the country? How does it get past that and how does it start to unify two things there's two things that could happen there could be a collective realization that you know this isn't working and we can all be adults and grow up and go we disagree on this issue it's fundamental but it's not the most important issue and you know there could be a better way of doing politics there could be an alternative and you know i, I do think that's the way it is because um and then the alternative issue is we have another referendum we say, oh, but there isn't going to be another referendum because Nicola Sturgeon isn't going to call one because she knows she won't win and Boris Johnson isn't going to grant one. So if that gridlock remains, we all lose out. But I think it's the it's the moral duty of the Scottish Labour Party to make the case that there is an alternative, there is a better way. You know, there's a better way of doing politics, there's a better way of running the country um, and people shouldn't have to settle for this thing where you know, it's Boris Johnson's Britain or Nicola Sturgeon's Scotland. I, I, I absolutely resent that framing. And, you know, there, there's so much, you know, I'm, I know I've came on here and been a southern Scot and go, everything's terrible. I mean, it's a great country. You know, where it's, it is, it's great. There's great people. Um, there were once great politicians that, you know, you know, Donald, Donald Dewar was a, a perfect example. You know, first ever first minister of Scotland. I, I mean, it just wasn't an issue. So why is it now? And it is because, you know, we've, we're stuck in a rut. So it's about saying, you know, let's change that. Let's have an alternative. Let's talk about what actually matters. Are we at that point yet? No. Do I hope we get to it as soon as possible? Yes. How do we do that? Dealer's choice. You know, the parliament, and, you know, it's hard. I, I know I shouldn't, but it's the fact is the parliament's ab- absolutely central focus of how politics works. Um, and, you know, the parliament has to live up, you know, meant, it's, not a, it's not a means to an end. It's a, it's a means to greater ends. Um, you know, we can't have a situation and it's just not fulfilling that promise. So, I mean, the fact is the change is going to happen outside of it, but we just need Holyrood to start working again because um, it isn't. I, I'm going to come in. I'm going to come in, Kieran. And this has been really interesting talking to you. Um, but really, the most important question we've got for you is what do, what do you think will happen at next year's World Cup qualifiers? And could Scotland get a result in Cardiff? Should it go that way? Um, I think I think I hope Scotland will do very well at the Principality. Ooh, we don't play football at the Principality, oh, my friends. Oh, no, God, there's, there's me trying to make a bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, do I think? I mean, uh, Scotland had never won a entered an international tournament in my life. 
until you know that when uh, David Marshall uh, saved those goals. So you know, it really, really did lift the country spirits up. I think we need that again, um, and it would be good, you know, because it's it's a bit hard, you know, going going to every international football club and just supporting whatever team is against England. You know, I'd quite like to support something. Um, I'll be out of trouble for saying that, but you know, it's it's a ninety minute rivalry and all that. I'm sure it's the same with you guys, but no, fingers fingers crossed that uh, Scotland team do well. They just need to match up to the women's team. Scotland's women team are bloody brilliant. The men just need to take a few notes with them. Kieran, absolute pleasure to have you on. Uh, if people want to hear more from you, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, Twitter at Kieran Owen and then uh, my campaign page which is at Labour Kieran on Facebook I think but um, I know thanks so much for having me on guys it's great to finally be on I'm not going to I can't, how do you is it Hyreth how do you say it again Hyreth Hyreth right well, yeah. it's great it's great to finally be on and thanks so much guys and um, when it comes have a great St Andrews Day well I was just about to say have a wonderful St Andrews Day Kieran and for all our listeners we wish you the same if you've enjoyed what you've heard this evening please don't forget to find us on Medium at Hyreth Bob Cymru on Facebook at Here I Blog Cymru and on Twitter at Here I Blog. Thank you for listening to Here I. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review.